I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. This week saw the culmination of the group stages in Europe, leaving three Irish, two French, two Scottish and one English team left to fight it out for Champions Cup. Here to discuss it all with me and no doubt England and the Six Nations is the former England Saracens and Leicester hooker, George Shooter. How are you, George? Good evening, Maura. Very well, thank you. Well, the quarterfinals are now set. In case you didn't know, it's Saracens versus Glasgow, Edinburgh versus Munster, Leinster versus Ulster and Racing versus Toulouse. So the semi-finals will see at least one Irish team and one French team, only one English team, Saracens. They were the best performing team of the group stage, but that's all relative to the other clubs. George, to a certain extent, this is cyclical, but some people have said that the English clubs are not as interested as other clubs in the Champions Cup in the same way possibly the French and certainly the Celts are. Uh, I, I disagree with that, to be honest, Maura. I think I think the English clubs are very ambitious in 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 the European Cup. Uh, I think just at the time, at the moment, they're not very good. Simple as that. I think if you, if you look at the Premiership, you can look at Exeter and Saracens as the two best teams by uh, a country mile, and then below that, you've got. I don't know, maybe even 10 teams the, the remaining 10 teams are all uh, uh, at the same sort of level they're all a bit of a soup and they're fighting out for the, the, the remaining playoff places scrapping for relegation scrapping to get into the top six so I, I, do, I do think teams it means a lot to English clubs still although our success rate in the last <laughs> 10 years or so has been pretty poor well I, don't, I mean I don't know I mean the, the, the jibe quickly came out of social media that the Pro 14 was the best league and would the French <laughs> And English clubs want to change the rules again so that they could actually get anywhere. And I said, well, whichever league is the best depends on whatever parameters you want to use. And there are many of them. And by the way, given that the French and English clubs have won five out of the last six tournaments and supplied 11 out of the last 12 finalists, no, they probably won't want to uh, change that. Hubris is not a wise thing before you've actually won the thing. And when you look at the other English clubs that were in the Champions Cup, Wasps, Leicester, Gloucester, Bath, they are so 
inconsistent this season in their own league, yep. you couldn't possibly expect them to have a European campaign that was any different, I don't no, think. No, and, and Exeter have been a little bit up and down in the league. I know, I know they're very near the top, but they, they have had a couple of wobbles and they generally struggled in their, in their pool group, although Saturday was a, was a, a, great, uh, a great game, actually. I mean, they, look, they looked, it looked like a test match. It was match an old-fashioned game, wasn't it? It really was. That would be great for Exeter. That would give them a lot of confidence as they've got a few guys who probably haven't played at that sort of level before uh, who now know what it takes to play at that level. Um, it, it, I think that could be a long, in the long term a, a good shot in the arm for Exeter. I mean, it's but, been one of their ploys this season and actually before not to kick penalties, to go for mm. touch, to try and drive line-outs, which they're very good at. But I... <sighs> that has its place. In games which are going to be tight... Mm. And this one against Munster was always going to be tight because they only needed a bonus point. Yeah. I just wonder, because scoreboard pressure is something that you can't really quantify, but it's certainly real. And if you keep the penalties going over and the points just accumulating, albeit in threes, sometimes, and only sometimes, teams do strange things they yeah. force passes they shouldn't do they try riskier plays than they ordinarily would do the offload that seems to be on the try and it doesn't work yeah. and so you get things that you only uh, benefit from because you're in front and you're not actually doing anything special provided your defence is tight you leave it for the opposition to sometimes not necessarily implode but just occasionally make mistakes that they wouldn't have done yeah. had they not had to look up and think <sighs> Time's running down now. Um, we need to score a try. Absolutely, and, and that's that's got to be one of the lessons that Exeter have to take out of the weekend. It's how to play at that level. How yeah, Munster have been have been quarter finalists now, since like sixteen times or whatever it is. Uh, so they know full well that how to win games and how to close out tight games and and what it takes to play pretty much at international level. The, the top European Cup games are always just a little bit below uh, Test match level in, t- in terms of intensity and, and and the physicality. So Exeter, yeah, they'll, that that something they'll take. They can't bully the top teams in Europe like they can bully uh, the, sort of the average teams in the premiership uh, they've got a good pack obviously but you put that pack against pretty much an Irish international pack on Saturday uh, even some of the top French teams you're not going to get away with with the sort of the play you get away with in, in the premiership that's, and that's 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 why it should be the European Cup should be a step up from your domestic league because it's it's the next thing below uh, below test matches um, and yeah if Exeter don't, don't take that lesson on board then that's a, 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 be a crime I think and there's another point which are a few points which I want to make about taking the kicks at goal. First of all, it rewards the effort that you've put in to force a penalty. So you're more likely to strive to do it again. And the other big one is that teams, when they're defending, think, actually, this time I won't chance my arm because if they kick a you know, we don't want to go any further down, which makes your job easier all all round. Mm. Yeah, there's 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 probably more, far more pros for, for kicking your points than, than cons. Uh, you're right, every now and then you might score a try, and that's potentially seven points. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm of the old school uh, as you are, Moro. You you put in points on the board, particularly in in key games where you may you may never get back into the 22 again. Yeah. You've got to take the points when they're on offer, and it, it, yeah, again, it, it, it's that that's comes with experience. So it, I mean, even someone like Rob Baxter's never a coach at that sort of level he's the, the club have never been at the top of European uh, sort of rugby so uh, this is these are all vital lessons for them to learn I think before the seat before the certainly before the cup started uh, people were talking about Exeter's um, previous form in the, in the European Cup and how they need to try and sort of 
build up and make a tilt at it at some point. This is another of those sort of stepping stones, I think. Um, and yeah, they, they could have won that game. And if you know if they'd scored one of those tries from a driving line out, we'd be talking a different story here, wouldn't we? But the reality is, when you play the best teams in the world, you've got to keep the scoreboard ticking over. Got to keep the opposition under pressure. And what do you make of uh, Wales? Not a single team through to the knockout stages of the Champions or the Challenge Cup and yet nationally one of the dark horses uh, possibly a bit more and it seems to be one of the problems they've got is unlike the provinces in Ireland okay when they were playing before professionalism came along hardly anyone watched them but at least they have defined regions I mean they've got hundreds if not thousands of years of history behind them, Leinster, Munster and so on. When you have an artificial construct like the regions are in Wales, it's a much more difficult thing to sell because I am old enough to remember the old divisional championship in in England and I just wonder, whilst that would have been one of the best ways to actually organise the playing talent, for example in the Midlands where you've got Leicester, you had Corv, you had Moseley, you had Northampton... Would Mercia or Midlands ever have been really popular? I'm not sure it would. Probably not, no. And and, and one of the main reasons being is that the fans wouldn't support uh, a Northampton player or, or something, if, if you're a Leicester fan I'm talking about, they wouldn't go and support those other local rival clubs. And that's exactly what you... What we, I mean, this is, this is years old now when the, when the regions first came about. Uh, they were combining teams like Neath and Swansea. You know, well, the, the, these are bitter, bitter enemies. There's people who genuinely hate each other from, from both the two towns <laughs> and suddenly they're thrown together and you've got to be, uh, you've got to be one team. Well, the attendances for years have been terrible for the, for the Welsh regions for that, for that prime reason. Teams would prefer to go and see uh, the, the, the clubs play, the old clubs play uh, on a Saturday and then go down to the Liberty Stadium or wherever it's called now in Swansea and watch uh, a Neath Swansea hybrid Ospreys team. Um, yeah, Welsh club rugby has been, has been in trouble for a very, very long time and yeah, it, 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 they, again, they are geared to the internationals as as the other Pro 14 teams are. It's not a surprise that there's no Welsh teams in the, in the knockouts. Maybe Scarlets were very unlucky with injury, but they're, you know, they're, they're the best of, comfortably the best of the bunch in Wales. Uh, Leicester, a narrow loss at home because Ulster then secured a uh, knockout place. Where are Leicester at at the moment? Because certain play, I mean, George Ford's form has been quite good. Mm. And yet, unusually for Leicester, got in the Ulster 22 three or four times, not really managed to put the points over or sustain the pressure yeah they, they are they are struggling up front they, there are issues with the, with the line out in particular but Leicester's driving play whether it's from a mall or whether it's from sort of the, the breakdown pick and go that sort of thing has been pretty anemic for quite a long time and Geordie uh, did you ever think you'd say that about no, Leicester no, I, ne- God, no. I never thought I'd see the yeah, day yeah it's, it, but it's been it's been a, a pretty savage decline in, in, in that sort of standards uh, for, for, for quite a while Scrum's still strong and uh, and that but uh, the rest of the forwards game is, is not great and then when you've got backs who aren't playing quite as well as they should do you've got a pretty mediocre team um, Geordie was quite scathing after the game about the the impact from the bench and uh, and that clinical uh, edge in, in the Ulster 22 uh, refreshing to hear that sort of honesty to be honest I think he, he some people were a bit disappointed in him picking out individuals or or 
not being seen to back his team up. But I think at some point you've got to be honest with professional players and say, look, that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. And if that's to the press, then so be it. And, uh, and they should be asking these questions first. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the players will probably know that they're not, they weren't, weren't good enough. But uh, I think from the outside, like I say, it's quite refreshing to see that sort of honesty from from a coach. You do, you do get the old party lines trotted out more often than not. But uh, yeah, I've got no problem with that with, with Geordie calling people out. I think it's a, it's part of his job. He's got to drive standards at the club and uh, try and drag everyone up. Well, three Irish teams into the knockout stages of the Champions Cup, uh, probably reflecting the way their rugby is in general, certainly nationally, and to discuss uh, their fortunes, their prospects. We've got James Downey, the former Leinster, Munster and Ireland centre on the line. Hello, James. Good evening, Brian. How are you? OK. Um, Leinster, Ulster. Now, Leinster at the moment are possibly, probably the strongest club side in Europe. What sort of hope do you give Ulster? I think Ulster will will certainly take this game. As opposed to going away to France, it would have been something different. It's Mm -hmm. not far to travel. Ulster have always got a chance, but I just can't see past Leinster. How good they've been when they've missed a lot of players as well. A couple of games ago, they were out with six internationals. And I know Dal Young had a bit of a gripe about when you lose Jack Conan, you can replace him with Sean O'Brien. It's just a strength and depth that Leinster have at the moment. I just think that Ulster at the moment have a decent first 23 perhaps and then below that then they just don't have the quality the same quality that that Leinster have to have that amount of internationals and impact and you, you look at you take Loosehead for example you have Jack McGrath line and you've got Keane Healy a British line as well so it's it's a it's a sports with riches at that moment but I can't see past Leinster in that one This is a very difficult question which is why I'm asking you how do you beat Leinster? Oh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if, we, if, we could, if we could only bottle that and sell that, we'd, we'd make a fortune. But <laughs> look, Leinster are beatable. I, I certainly think they are. I think you, you saw when teams have played them, and they, like when you saw Toulouse, how they beat them, they slowed them down. They, they beat them up front. They took them at the breakdown. Leinster were a little bit rattled by that, and I think they had to go and work away at that. But I just think if you can get that parity up front, Leinster have that ability to play tactical game as they did against Ross much slower but then they also have that ability to change it and change the tempo of a game and have that ability to get to go wide and actually spread teams out but I just think that when you do see how Toulouse played them as you say get that party to break down and just have a little bit of X factor behind the scrum it can, it can certainly cause them problems but if you can frustrate Leinster I think they're certainly a beatable side but at the moment as I say they're on the crest of a wave Listen, just want to flip over to Munster now. They've got a well, what could be a tricky away trip to Edinburgh. What 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 do you make of their chance? Are they are they a vintage? This is a vintage Munster, Munster team we're seeing at the moment, or uh, do you think there's more to come from them? I still think there's more to come. I've been pretty impressed. You've kind of seen over the last few years where they were, and they were just missing one or two things, and I think with the addition of Joey Carberry especially and Tygburn up front just added that little bit more Mike Hayes blended in perfectly into the squad as well but they needed that X-Factor 10 I think they needed someone who can unlock a defence and you certainly saw against Gloucester how well Joey Carberry played and he has that ability to do that but look I think Munster would be happy enough with, with, with travelling to, to Edinburgh it's one of those games where look we're going to be away uh, we know we've played up in Edinburgh. Obviously, Richard Cockrell's done a great job at Edinburgh, but I think Munster will be quietly confident, and it's Europe, and it's mm. Munster, a European team, and they're a cup team, and they always seem to change 
tempo changed pace and how they do it and they have a different mindset when it comes to Europe and mm-hmm. look they've, they've been in semi-finals the last few years and I'm sure they're going to hold no fear in going to Murrayfield certainly be a close game I reckon yeah I agree yeah, yeah. well let's look at if you don't mind the Ireland Six Nations squad because the big tournament in Northern Hemisphere rugby at least is rapidly approaching uncapped Connaught Trio Blade Carty and Farrell and the Ulster back Addison looking for first taste of Six Nations rugby Do you? Th- how many of those do you think will play any meaningful part I think Addison is the one that sticks out. Um, he has that ability to cover uh, centre, full back, and wing. I think Quayla Blades had a great year with Connacht, and he's benefited from the, the fact that there's been a few injuries as well. I think there's a bit of a concern still in Ireland about how reliant we are on Conor Murray. Uh, it was Johnny Sexton beforehand, but now obviously with Joey Carby having that game time down in Munster. He's certainly stepped up, but Jack Carty is there. He's there on form and on merit. Tom Farrell, I still think we have a lot of good midfielders there. I'm not sure how much Tom Farrell is going to play, but I think the way Joe Schmidt is, it's great to have those players rewarded for how well they've played based on form, but it's also a learning curve for them and to see what they're like in, in that international environment. But uh, I think Will Allison would be the main contender out of those. Well, I think by common consent this is one if not the strongest island squad that's probably ever been assembled but Ian Henderson looks set to miss the England and Scotland uh, games now whether he starts or or not I've always been impressed by the sort of dynamism that that he brings how serious uh, uh, an absence might that be look I think it's bit of a blow for Ian's had an operation on his his thumb before and just come back and played two games I think and the finger's gone now so he's out as you say for a couple of weeks Tyburn as well look he's he's a huge blow I think Ian because he's been there he's done it he's captain the national side but again that strength and depth that you mentioned that we have the stronger squad we're still able to call on James Ryan who's been Ireland's top performer this year and, and, and Devin Toner's still there and again, you can call in experienced players like Quinn Rue who can step up and Olsen land. So, look, there's still quality behind us. We're lucky to have these players that can that can step up while previously in a couple of years ago we wouldn't have had such riches. And look, I think Ian's going to feature heavily after that. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be chomping at the bit to get back. But England first up, it's it's going to be a tough start. It's, it's good we're at home. I think you look at last year, how it went. Could have gone out like that. Six Nations could have been ruined in that first game, only for Johnny Sexton's drop goal against France. So, this could be one of those games where no matter who loses, it's going to be a tough bounce back. Ireland and Scotland away second, and England and France at home. So, there's no easy games. James, we'll probably get out of here asking you, uh, putting you on the spot with a uh, question here. What do you think? Do you think Ireland can uh, make, uh, win the Grand Slam again? I do actually, yeah. I just look. You have to be that confident <laughs> in the way they've been playing, yeah. uh, but I just think that there's a lot. There's so many tricky fixtures in there. Um, if you can get over that first English hurdle, Scotland away, we've, we've kind of struggled somewhat against the Scots and and Wales away. I think the people are kind of not dismissing Wales, but mm. Wales are just bubbling away under the surface, and it's Wales, which could be one of these Grand Slam fixtures in the millennium. And look, it's. Wales have been a bogey team for Ireland over the past couple of years so um, I still think they can do it I certainly believe it I think the confidence is there now and 
Ireland's perspective has changed in terms of how we look at it before we'd be like oh we can put up a decent show it'll be alright but I think now we have that confidence that we can get the get the wins certainly win the Six Nations but I'm sure Joe will be looking at a, at a Grand Slam mm. well, We won't have long before we find out uh, James great to talk to you and thank you very much Cheers mate Cheers James Downey former Leinster Munster and Ireland uh, centre George, you know, in the history of the four, five and six nations, there have only ever been six teams that have done back-to-back Grand Slams. I'll tell you what. Only six. I, I did it. England <laughs> <laughs> twice, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the reason for that is when sides are close, you only need 20 minutes where you just don't play mm. particularly well. And if the opposition capitalise on that, that's a Grand Slam over. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's it is rare for a reason. It's very very difficult. It's very difficult to win any games in in, in the Six Nations. To be to be honest, they're Test matches, and you don't get the opportunity to make mistakes and get away with it. Uh, the teams are teams are generally good enough to punish you, and especially these days. We're sp- speaking about Ireland. There, Wales. Uh, Wales are a, a fantastic team at the moment. Very much under the radar. Uh, England, I think, are pretty good. Scots uh, are, are certainly a developing team as well. But certainly perhaps, at home. Yeah, at home. So Murrayfield is a tough place to go. But yeah, perhaps the Italians are not quite. Up to, to to the sort of level yet, but even though you know, even those games they can be still physically quite quite uh, demanding. And so the French, who knows? Yeah, who does know? It, but it's yeah, it, it's uh, even when it was back in the Five Nations, it was just it was just thrilling how a lot of form went out the window. It was very much on the day. Obviously, everyone wants to beat England, but there's some great rivals between uh, Ireland and Wales, Ireland and Scotland, uh, the French and and, and themselves. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's 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 a great tournament, and, it, and it's been a great tournament for for as long as it's been around, and that's why. The Southern Hemisphere has always been jealous of it. Well, the one one thing you can guarantee in the Six Nations, somewhere, almost without exception, there will be a surprise. So it won't be straightforward. And everyone looks forward to it. And there's a reason for that. Well, you mentioned England are pretty strong. The squad that's been announced was said by Eddie Jones to be the strongest squad he's been able to pick. And sure, it should be at this stage of the World Cup development cycle. Interestingly, though, out of the... uh, squad that have been named I don't think necessarily apart from Owen Farrell there are any serious doubts but Nathan Hughes Launchbury and Brad Shields or Wasps yeah. with a bit of a strain what is it they made a cardboard or, <laughs> or are they doing something too vigorous too much lead in the water in Coventry <laughs> perhaps, I don't know. yeah it is unfortunate oh of course you keep forgetting it is Coventry <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, yeah. yeah well I mean you, you could probably argue that neither though, none of those three may be Launchbury but none of, the, none of them are, are, are automatic starters for England so I guess with your England hat on it's not too much of a, of a, of a an issue that they're carrying niggles, uh, but yeah, I imagine was was wondering what they've done wrong. <laughs> obviously, sinned in a past life or something to yeah. to get all this karma come back on them. Um, but yeah, it, it is a it is a strong squad, and I mean, just looking at some of the players unavailable due to injury: Hartley, Jonathan Joseph, Underhill, Watson. I mean, it, it, those four guys there straight away are probably starters in 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 uh, if they're all fit. Then you've got someone like Rob Shaw and uh, Piers Francis, probably a bit more of an outside shot. So. Barring four people, that's as strong a squad as as they've got at the moment. And um, most of the guys are are playing pretty well, it has to be said. The guys have been recalled. Someone like Dan Cole has been recalled after a a 
pretty uh, pretty good response to being dropped from the squad. The Saracens are flying higher. The Exeter players will be very confident. But even even uh, a guy like Jack Singleton, the the Worcester hooker, who's uncapped, uh, he's had he's had a fantastic season so far. Again, a little bit under the radar because of where he's playing, but he's there on merit. He's not just there to make up numbers. I think most of the looking at the squad there on paper, I think everyone's there on merit really. As we speak, Owen Farrell said to be undergoing uh, some surgery on his hand. Now, when you mention the word surgery, usually it means something serious, but they are saying that there is a possibility that he might be available for the Ireland game if he doesn't play. First of all, that means the two co-captains, whatever that means, um, won't be there or probably won't be there. But I imagine, given his loyalty to George Ford in the past, that he will start, but... Who will Cipriani, Marcus Smith, uh, Lazowski? Who is likely to come in to cover that? Well, that's, a, that's a very good question. I, I know who I'd have. I, I think Lazowski's a fantastic player already. I think Marcus Smith may, may well be eventually a, a very, very fine player. Cipriani, maybe. Uh, he's probably a bit bit too much of a maverick Freddie Jones even though he's been recalled Lozowski's been playing out of his skin for Saracens over the last sort of six weeks or so I think it's about time he, he, he sort of got some real exposure to some top end international rugby and I think doubling away on the opening weekend of the Six Nations would be a great start for him and I don't know him personally but just watching him play watching him go about his business he looks like a very very calm and controlled individual so I don't imagine his feathers would be too ruffled by by that, uh, that sort of baptism of fire if you want if he was out and Hartley was out, who do you think's favourite to be captain? Oh, uh, <laughs> or you might have to pick two because you might have to have two captains. <laughs> We're four. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I mean, George Ford is captain in Leicester at the moment. Uh, he's probably the most experienced player alongside Ben Youngs. I'm not sure um, who else really sort of jumps at you as, as captaincy material. Maybe Itoji or yeah, one of the one of the uh, Saris guys. Um, might have to stop whooping around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might have to grow up a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's that's a, that's a big issue. Isn't it? There's, there's not a lot of leaders that jump out at you. Look back to. I mean, look, take that point about Itoji. It, it said, you know, in a bit of jest, mm. but as captain, you know, you've got to stay calm, you've got to set the example, and you've got to talk to the referee. Yeah. If you're going around quiz, <laughs> quasi-taunting the opposition, yeah. not going to be viewed favourably. Absolutely not. And, you know, it's, it, it does sound a bit sort of stuffy and, and old-fashioned, but that's that's dead right. You want your captain to be uh, a calm and controlling sort of individual. You want it to be you want it to be what people can focus on rather than actually uh, adding a distraction. But yeah, that, 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 lack of, that lack of leaders is, is, I'm sure, something Eddie Jones is very worried about because the best the World Cup winners of the past, they've all had five Six, seven, eight guys. Who you'd say, oh, actually, Richard McCaw's injured. We've got sorry, we've got Kieran Reid. We've got Conrad Smith. We've got I don't know who else, Woodcock or something like that. Same with England in 2003. Oh, Mike Johnson's out. Delalio, Back, Hill, uh, Leonard, all these sort of people. Wilkinson. There's there's captains and leaders across the board, and for for every World Cup winning team, that that squad on paper, while it looks good, uh, does certainly lack a little bit of leadership and and uh, experience, I suppose, in some ways. It is the most difficult opening that you could have drawn for England. Now, for quite a while, England have not started particularly quickly in the Six Nations. Can't afford to do it this time. Would there ever be a good time or a better time to play Ireland at the, the end or, or, or right? I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess nearer the end where, where maybe they picked up a few injuries might help. The the weather might be a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, that's one of the one of the beauties of, of the tournament. If you if you don't play Ireland the first weekend, you might have to go to Cardiff, or you might have to go to Paris, or you you, you, know, you might have to go to Murrayfield. And that, that, that's oh, no, they're not going to Murrayfield this year. But that, that's the thing. It's it, it, it's sort of almost the luck of the draw. We played Ireland back in 2007. We played them in the middle. Uh, we had the sort of the first two rounds of fixtures then we had the, the the middle one on its own and that was Croke Park away and that didn't end up too well for us and that was a pretty good Irish team as well you've just got to play them you've got to play them sometimes I suppose again with your devil's advocate hat on you'd probably say play them at the beginning where they're a little bit rusty and still finding their feet but you know a trip to Dublin's well I mean I suppose you know. this is definitely a factor given that the sides haven't played together for a while that's both of them obviously mm. One side might just click for 20 minutes if you get the points. Mm. You might be able to hang on, sustain that. But, I mean, it's a moot point, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah we wait, like I say, you've got to play them at some point. And, and I mean, with, with the coaches we're talking about here, with Joe Schmidt and Eddie Jones, you'll have two pretty well-prepared teams next Saturday. And I think you know, it, will, it will come down to who can just sort of be a bit more clinical on the day. But you know, that, home, that home advantage for Ireland were massive, I think. And whilst England are still pretty good and looking better than they were this time last year I, th- I still think there's a massive mountain to climb on the way in Dublin and yeah it's just it's it's uh, I think it'd be a little bit too much for them. Warren Gatland revealed that he has been having informal talks about leading the Lions when he goes home puts his feet up for a while he said it'd be nice sit on a beach have a beer and then come back and do that job um, there aren't many better qualified candidates apart from Ian McGeekin possibly <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, I, I guess if he's keen to do it, then there's, there's probably little thinking need to, need to be done by the Lions establishment. His, his track record is, I don't know if it's better than anyone else's, but it's certainly up there with guys like McGeek and, and, uh, and, and the guys from the 70s and the 60s. So, and actually, if you look around, who 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 else is there to do it? Who else would you ask to 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 coach the Lions? I mean, well, George uh, and Schmidt wouldn't. Yeah, they, 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 they both ruled themselves out before. Farrell might. I mean, he's uh, been an assistant yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's not 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 a huge amount of. You uh, could possibly see Townsend in the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like I say, I think if if he if he wants to do it, then I don't see their. I'm sure the the Lions committee would bite his arm off. <laughs> um, I guess. The only thing would be maybe is he is he willing to sort of do it all over again? It's 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 a it's a pretty well. That's a decision for him because yeah. he knows how much it takes well, big, out uh, of yeah, you. It's a, so yeah, it's a big if he's if yeah. he's prepared to make the commitment, I'm sure mm. being the professional and sort of player and man he is, then or what certainly players was and man yeah. he, he is, he wouldn't give anything under other than the yeah. the, the right amount of commitment. Time to switch focus to the women's game. Can speak to Nathan Middleton now, who presented the live stream of the Gloucester versus Sarries match in the Premier 15s this weekend. Also, the digital content editor for England Rugby. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Brian. The live streaming. Is there a plan to continue this? Widen the opportunities for matches to be viewed? Yeah, we uh, we we've, we've done it for the past couple of seasons on uh, on Premier15s.com since uh, since the start of the new women's competition so yeah we've got another one this weekend with uh, Wasps against Harlequins and then obviously when the, the Pro 15 returns after Six Nations we'll be doing a couple of streams after that both semi-finals and uh, and then also hoping to do the, uh, the final as well in, in conjunction with Sky so yeah it's a really big platform for us um Live over both social media and kind of just the internet in general is a, is a big push. So, so yeah, we're um, we're we're really kind of big behind it and, and hoping to do uh, lots more. Well, 
as in the men's game, Saracens <laughs> seem to be dominating. There's a little bit of a gap, but not that much to uh, to Harlequins. Uh, what is it about Saracens that is making them the leaders? They've just got, I think, an incredible culture around the club. I was at the, the Harlequins game a couple of weeks ago when they, they were 16 points down the second half and, and Quinns looked like they were cruising, but um, they made a couple of substitutions and, and the replacements came on and, and really kind of turned the game for them. Their, their squad depth is is fantastic and, and I think just everything about the the way the club is run, Alex Osterbury's kind of taken over from, from Rob Kane last season and, and brought in a, a sort of different style of play, but they're able to grind out wins in, in, in lots of different ways. They've got a, a really big pack, which pretty much dominates most teams got fantastic driving more they score a lot of tries through their forwards and and you look at just you know some of the, the international players they had eight called up to the England squad Poppy Cleal's been fantastic likes of Marley Packer Bryony Cleal the, the two twins of course and you've got the likes of Hannah Bosserman Vicky Fleetwood and um, and then kind of a sprinkling of, of backs as well Zoe Harrison probably the, the backup fly half now to Katie Daly McLean really kind of pushing her in the number 10 shirt Sarah McKenna scored two at the weekend um, coming back from sevens and then lots of kind of really good Premier 15s players the likes of, uh, of Lottie Clapp Hannah Casey was really good at the weekend and um, it, you look at their bench as well I mean they had Georgie Gulliver and Lauren Cattell yeah. coming on for them two England internationals so they're, the names they're just huge keep, strength in keep coming don't they exactly um, well um, a hat trick of tries from uh, Harlequins and England's Jessica Breach they got the bragging rights big, big win over uh, Richmond what do you think of uh, Breach's prospects for the uh, women's uh, Six Nations uh, fantastic talent and, and England head coach Simon Milton's spoken about that and, and spoken about how delighted he's has to have her back in the in the fifteen setup. You know, she she burst onto the scene her debut for England, she scored six tries. She then scored five in the next game. So I mean eleven tries in, in two games at in international is not too bad. She was before she switched from fifteen to sevens last year, she was top try scorer in the Premier fifteen. So she's one of those natural finishers, incredible pace when she gets going lovely sidestep on on her as well so I think she's got a bit of time to kind of settle back in but yeah the hat trick of of course at the weekend shows um, I think she's right back on it well a big well a massive win for uh, Loughborough Lightning over Furwood Waterloo ladies and it seems that uh, a lot of the I wouldn't say imports but the relatively new signings are now starting to get their act together yeah, obviously the, the big signing last season was bringing Sarah Hunter in as as player coach and and her involvement there. But but Katie Daly McLean signing uh, this season is, is huge. You know she's one of the best players in in the world's game and she can control a game like pretty much no one else can in an England shirt. I was been down at training the past couple of weeks with the Red Roses and you, you're constantly hearing a voice telling people where to go, just kind of directing play and and orchestrating a picture that she wants to produce. So she's been fantastic for them. And, and yeah, lots of um, lots of players coming through there. Joe Brown and, and Justine Lucas joining this year and, and the likes of Karis Williams and Kath O'Donnell in the England setup. So they are they are really pushing on. And I think Quinns and Saracens last year were obviously the finalists and these are the two best teams. But, but Loughborough have, have really kicked on this season and, and it'll be challenging for them. So yeah, they've had a, a very good season and I think they'll easily make the playoffs. Uh, Wasps, another convincing victory over Sharks 43-12. And players like uh, Amy Cocaine, very influential. But when you look at their squad and you look at, say, the squads of Saracens, maybe, well, definitely, Quinns, maybe, Loughborough Lightning, is it a case of they just don't have as many top players? Well, yeah, if you look at the the kind of international picks from, from Wasps, it's, it's much fewer than the teams above them but you know they've got a lot of experience particularly the past couple of years signings of, of Rocky Clark and, and Danielle Nolly Waterman um, so there is still a lot of quality in Wasps and 
you know, they, they've pushed Saris all the way in, in recent weeks and, and um, they've kind of, yeah, very good seasoned Premier 15s players that they bring through. A lot of youngsters as well come through Wasp. So maybe they don't have the stardust at the top end of the table, but they, they on their day, very much um, a challenge for anyone. Looking forward to the Red Roses Six Nations, they will obviously be looking to uh, finish top of the table, Grand Slam, and so on. They've now got the benefit of professional contracts in many respects. They probably should win the uh, title, shouldn't they? Many people might say that. They've obviously, you know, they're, they're usually there or thereabouts the past couple of seasons. It's been England, France, uh, and Ireland. So, yeah, they'll be confident going in. There's a massive game to start up with against uh, Ireland in Dublin. That's always a tricky test going over there. And then France at home uh, against Doncaster. That was a key game last year against France, so it could, uh, could well be again. But I think England, any competition they go in, they, they want to win, and particularly the Red Roses. Lots of people coming back from, from sevens, lots of returning injuries as well in terms of people who played a big part in the, the 2017 Rugby World Cup and, and played in that final to New Zealand. So, yeah, they'll definitely be confident and I'm sure that uh, those first two games will be really key. Well, Nathan, keep up the good work with the uh, streaming. Come back and speak to us uh, later on, please. Cheers, Brian. Let's have a look at the Six Nations just in general. Ireland have to go to Cardiff. England have to go to Cardiff and Dublin. But they've got France at home. So, this could possibly be one of the trickiest six nations to call for quite a while I think yeah it's it, what's obvious is Ireland are probably the favourites and being the second team in the world at the moment that's 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 rightly so the Welsh sort of flew through the autumn with four wins out of four uh, and have got arguably the toughest game Ireland at home and again, I mean, England. I do think England are in a in a good position, although perhaps uh, lacking a bit of leadership. Uh, I think towards the end of the well, after the autumn internationals in general, they'd be quite pleased with the direction they're heading in. So, yeah, it's not often you say that, and it's, it's almost a little bit like the World Cup. This appears on 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 the surface to be the closest Six Nations for a very very long time. As the World Cup, there's, there's potentially three or four people who could win the Six Nations, and there's five or six teams that you could argue have a, a, a real genuine chance of winning the World Cup. The thing is that dynamics of this tournament never change in this sense. When people say you've just got to win your first game, <laughs> it really is very important, isn't yeah, it? Because it is. if you win, however it's achieved, then you can be positive, you can make changes if you want to from a positive point of view. If you lose, and it doesn't matter really if you get close, the fact is that you're under pressure straight away. And although they are a series of one-off games in a sense the cumulative nature of the table, you're then thinking, if we have another loss, that's the title gone completely, yeah. really. Yeah. So it's very difficult for coaches and players to then go on as if nothing's happened because they know the loss has occurred, irrespective of how they've played, irrespective of uh, whatever positives they can take out of it, which is always a phrase, isn't it? <laughs> so one or other of England or Ireland is going to face you know, the prospect of losing, unless obviously draw, which is unlikely. And their campaigns thereafter will be dictated quite a lot by that result. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's one of the, the joys of the competition. It's unpredictability. It's it, it's five games. It used to be four, obviously five games. And you really can't afford to lose more than one uh, if, you're, if, you've got, if you want an honest... Uh, 
a chance of winning. Now, these these days, we've got the bonus points as well, so that does alter things a, a touch. But I think it, it, a little bit like uh, league rugby used to be, you, you don't get the opportunity to make mistakes and lose games and, and oh, yeah, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. You don't. You, it's, it's that level of competition that you've got to win four out of five, really, to give yourself a, a chance of winning the tournament. And yeah, as a spectator, it's great. It's great theatre. It's great drama. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when England played France on the final day and needed to score those points. Well, those are remarkable. Dude. Yeah, it's, it's just. Like, I mean, I still remember quite a lot of it. You know, yeah. <laughs> Wales going all those points up yeah. and just not quite getting there. You know, then you went and England failed with the last drive. Yeah, they could have but won the whole with the last drive, and 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 that's the great thing about it. There's, there's no there's no other tournament regular yearly tournament like it in the world and and as I said before the, the Southern Hemisphere have been envious for many years about the Five Nations and the Six Nations uh, they generated this uh, the, the Tri-Series initially and then now the World the Rugby Championship just, just to try and get that sort of competition down there it's not taken off as, uh, as they would have hoped um, but that's because they haven't got 100 years of history behind it uh, and, and geographically uh, I mean, yeah the, very the, difficult playing Argentina and South Africa and all the travel that's involved. So, uh, yeah, I think we, we we sort of probably took it for granted for quite a long time what we, what a product we've got here. But even going back into sort of the 30s and 40s when it was still sort of a, a relatively new uh, idea, it, it's it's just a great tournament. And uh, playing in it was 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 fantastic for me. I don't know about you, more, but uh, no, it watching great. it on TV as a kid, then finding finding yourself running out and holding a Calcutta Cup and all that sort of stuff. Well, those all are the, the history first about things it. that I remember watching. Yeah, it just it, it's just a great tournament. And it, and it continues to grow and go from strength to strength. Um, and now here we're, we're sat talking about three or four teams that could arguably win things. So. And the good thing about this year is, I mean, the Six Nations, as I said, has always had an element of surprise which has kept the interest in it, even though for quite a number of years it's not been the absolute quality of rugby that maybe the Rugby Championship or Tri-Nations has been in the Southern Hemisphere of the great thing about this year is there's every prospect of it being both exciting and good quality yeah well, it's 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 never been just about the quality. I mean, uh, I mean, watching you guys in nineteen eighty one, it was fairly dull, but I loved every minute of it because uh, we ground ground what? ground the opposition into the dirt. <laughs> yes. but, but then flip that to nineteen ninety two, we we score in tries for fun. Uh, but that again, that's that's the beauty of it. It's not it's played in different conditions. There's no there's no sort of hard. South African grounds to play running rugby then you go over to Australia and New Zealand playing these football stadiums it's played in some pretty awful conditions in England and Ireland and Scotland uh, you might get a nice day in Wales or Rome or sorry France or Rome if you're lucky but it's, it's just there's so much about it that, that adds intrigue to every game there's not really any dead rubbers it's it's there's always people fighting people want to avoid the wooden spoon uh, yeah there's just so much to enjoy and love about it and that's why everyone this time of year starts getting excited about it it's not it's not uh, it's not for show it's because people People genuinely care about the tournament, and they love that love just about everything about it. It's it's a real contest. It's uh, it's proper rugby. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host George Shooter, and as always, my producer Abby Patterson. Please do subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you haven't already. But for now, it's goodbye.